Yesterday, I did my very, very best to uh, get a bicycle ride in. And during one of the hottest parts of the day, and the truth about riding a bicycle for health is it's not how far you ride, but it's how hard you ride that makes the difference when you're riding for health. And when it's hot, uh, it's, uh, it's uh, not easy to ride hard. So um, when I have a day like yesterday, it helps me mentally to look for some happy points, some places that kind of give me encouragement along the way. And sometimes that happy point may be just the ever slightest downhill portion of the ride and, you know, where you can coast a little bit and give the legs just a little bit of rest and recovery uh, because you're trying to ride hard. Sometimes it's a very beautiful spot along the way where you just, even though you're tired, you may look up and you see the beauty of God's nature and it just takes your mind off of your heavy breathing and the pain, and you enjoy it a little bit and perks you up. Um, sometimes uh, one of the most powerful encouragers uh, when we're in a hard place kind of like that is to mark the halfway point. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Say, hey, I'm halfway there. And so everything else is kind of downhill, so to speak, because I'm headed toward the, as prisoner inmates used to say, I'm headed toward the crib. I'm on my way home, and this will be over with before long. Somehow, it's easier for me if I've made it past that halfway point. And so, in my mind, I begin to think just a little more to get the job done. Just a little more to get the job done. Well, as we've been studying the book of Philippians, we are now halfway there. Just a little more to get the job done. The study's not complete, and there's more to learn. And I personally am really excited about the last two chapters to get through it, because I believe that I'm going to be a better servant of the Lord uh, at the end of that. And I believe that will happen for you as well if you come with your cup upright. So this is a great adventure. Two more chapters in the book of Philippians, a great adventure for me. I hope it is for you as well. In the last line of chapter 2, and we're just, just right at the end of that, Paul is explaining why he is sending his ministry buddy. You remember his name? His ministry buddy sent from the church at Philippi. His name was Epaphroditus. Say it, one, one, two, three. Epaphroditus. He's sending his ministry buddy from Rome, whom the church at Philippi sent to help Paul out while he was in prison. He's sending Epaphroditus back home. The problem is he hasn't finished his assignment yet. What was his assignment? His assignment was to come alongside Paul while he was in prison. Well, Paul's not out of prison yet, and yet Epaphroditus is going home. Now, if you want to know a little more about the background for what was going through Epaphroditus' mind and his heart and his spirit, you can pick up the DVD from last week, or you can listen to it online, because we have it there. But the bottom line is that Paul had a reason for sending him back. And the reason that he's going to give is not what you might think that it is. The point is that the ministry that the Philippian church wanted to show Paul while he was doing Christian duty in Rome, and he's now in jail, incarcerated, Paul was not going to be able to have that ministry anymore because Epaphroditus is going home back to Philippi. Until Paul could be released from prison, The need was still there for ministry, and now once again, Paul is going to be alone. 
going to be by himself, chained to a prison guard in Rome. Now, while Epaphroditus was there, he did a tremendous job. While he was there, he came alongside Paul, and we don't know all the different ways, but we know that it was good because Paul had a good feeling about the ministry that Epaphroditus was providing for him. But the job of ministry is not complete. And so let's read two verses, chapter 2, verses 29 and 30, with a concentration upon that very last line. Here we go. Receive him, Paul says, to the Philippian church, 800 miles away. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy, and hold men like him in high regard, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. Completing or trying to complete what was deficient in the Philippian church's ministry to Paul. Now what in the world, is that a shot? Is, that, is, is, he, is he picking on the Philippian church because they didn't uh, finish their duty? What, what's that all about? The word for deficient in the Greek is husterema. Husterema. And it means that which is lacking. In other words, there is a need, that which is lacking. When I was riding my bike, that which was lacking was oxygen, okay, at times. Uh, or energy, or whatever. That which is lacking, husterema. That which is lacking. Well, what is lacking? Well, the ministry to Paul while he's in prison is now going to be lacking again because his buddy is going home. One of the most important points Paul might want us to get here is the value of seeing needs and meeting needs. The value of seeing needs and meeting needs. I titled this last uh, passage, this last four weeks that we spent, The Value of a Godly Layman. The Value of a Godly Layman. Why did I title it that way? Because that's what most of us in the room are. We are laymen and laywomen. Meaning that most of us in the room are not on the paid ministry staff. One of the tremendous strengths of a healthy church is the involvement of the laity. The involvement of the laymen and the laywomen in the life of any church. Because if the work of ministry were to rely solely upon the paid staff, I shudder to think what this church would look like. As gifted and as thrilled as I am to have the team that God has assembled here as a paid ministry staff, this church would be in sore trouble if we were relying only upon the work that the paid staff do in the work of ministry. There would always be just a little more to do to get the job done. And it's just like on the bike ride. Just a little more to go after the halfway point, And then the ride will be complete. Just a little more to go, and we can make the last payment on that car. Just a little. I can remember. Every, have you ever paid off a vehicle? Paid off a house? Paid off something that took you a long time? Uh, to make the payments on, and you get down to that last one or two. In fact, you get the last two. If you could scare up that last one and put a little cash together, you make a double payment and get it over with. It's like, it's done. I'm finished. There's no more to go on this deal. Just a little more to do, and we'll be ready for vacation Bible school. Just a little more to do, and we'll be ready next Sunday for VBS. Just a 
few more volunteers to teach. Just a few more to do the check-in on the night when the kids start coming in. Or uh, just one more driver to drive a van to stop and pick up the kids that wouldn't be in a church in, in, in any way, shape, or form if we didn't go out and attract them. Uh, just one more volunteer to paint a prop. She said, hey, this place is going to look different in here. Who do you think made all the stuff to bring in here? It's not all done yet. Yesterday I stopped by. I went in the uh, the area where they're working uh, to do the props or whatever. And I had seen on Facebook, uh, Miss Kayla said, hey, anybody that's free on Saturday, come join us. We'll be working in the kids, kids zone in there. When I stopped by, uh, mostly all I saw was paid staff. Mostly... That's all I saw. Now, maybe she didn't give the volunteers enough advance notice, or maybe you had other plans or whatever, but you understand there's still a little ways to go, and the minister, the paid staff, can't, they can't get all of that done. They can't finish the ride. It, it needs help. And so it, it's a hysterema. It's still lacking. We have seven days. Seven days. And so back there is going to be a place where, now this is not her, this is just how it works. This is how it works. No matter what the project is in the life of ministry in the church, it always takes a few more to get the job done. But those things only happen, I think, and we see this from the, the ministry of Epaphroditus and the ministry of the church at Philippi. Uh, there are three things that have to happen for this kind of work to take place to finish the task. We just got a little, a little ways to go. You know, I, I look out and, I, and I, see, I see the landmarks and I'm thinking, oh my, when, when I get there, I, I'm, just almost, I'm just almost home. I, I, I can almost, I could walk it if I had to, you know. I'm, I'm encouraged by it. But you have to be aware of three things in the life of the church, I think. And here, here's the first one. The first one is to be alert to the need. To be alert to the need. I walked in the kitchen this morning. Uh, I'd gotten dressed and was ready to go to church, and, and Cynthia's in the recliner where she's supposed to be. And uh, she said, did you notice anything different in the kitchen? I said, that's a trick question. I knew that, but I didn't know how to answer it. And I said, I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I didn't see anything different. And so I started looking around, and there was a sack with some nice tissue paper coming out of it and a nice card. And, I'm, and I said, oh, Father's Day. Oh, so before you had your surgery, you must have made provision to, to buy me a little gift for Father's Day and pick out a nice card and whatever. And I said, isn't that delightful? But guess what? I didn't notice it. I walked right through there, and I never, I know some of you walked in into church one day, and you never noticed there were three crosses out in the, in the, in the area out there, and the trees had been taken down. Some of you didn't notice that the flowers have bloomed yet. You just, you just didn't notice it, just didn't, just didn't see it. Some of you didn't notice what was on the electronic sign. You drove, just drove in, and so, okay, uh, so that happens to us, so so we don't get the job finished if we are not paying attention, if we're not looking around and uh, looking for the things that need to be done. The second thing that needs to happen is there needs to be, in the life of, of disciples, a sensitivity to the call for help. So someone, somewhere, somehow, in the pew, needs to be able to say, I, did you hear what Miss Kayla said? Did you hear what she said? She still needs some teachers and some volunteers. And 
that and and you're somebody out there. I'm sure there's at least one, probably hopefully a bunch, who said, "Ah, oh, that just broke my heart. That just that's there's something not right about that. We got to do something about that. You, you understand what I'm saying? A sensitivity that says uh, she's trying her heart out, and we need to we need to come alongside and we need to help. And so there's a sensitivity on the part of some people. Now some people will just out of here and say, hey, that's their problem. I don't work with kids, you know, and they got issues, you know, about that. But, but the fact of the matter is there probably are some who said, oh, I could, I could help with that. I could do something. I'll look at the list and see if I can't do something. Or the third thing would be not just a sensitivity to the call for help, but committed to the mission, committed to the mission. What is the mission? We already talked about it. It's about leading little, little boys and girls uh, exposing them to the gospel of Jesus Christ, committed to the mission. Why do we go 25 years into Wycliffe Bible Translators? Committed to the mission, to make sure that people have an opportunity to hear the story about Jesus. So you've got to be alert, see what's going on. You've got to be brokenhearted over the things that the needs that are there, that the job's not finished, the ride's not finished, you didn't get home yet, and be committed to the fact that, look, I, I do want improved health I do want better cardiovascular. I don't mind losing a few pounds if that happens with it. I do want to push against age. I do want to fight back and do what I can. So I'm not just going to go for a joy ride as much as I enjoy riding bicycles, but I'm going to push it a little bit. And I'm going to stretch the limit a tad. Why? Because I'm committed to the end result. So in the same way, the Philippian church was sensitive to Paul's needs in ministry by sending Epaphroditus, this wonderful layman, so many miles away to help Paul. And we too need to make sure that there are no deficiencies in the things God has placed under our watchful eye. We as a church, and I'm sure lots of churches, you know, there are churches out there that are breaking ground, starting a new, I'm aware of different things, whatever, Everybody needs to make sure that we're on the same page to make sure no deficiencies and what can I do to help with that. And that includes our day-to-day needs, like just caring for the building and the grounds, uh, just uh, the cutting of the grass and the, and the trimming of the hedges and the volunteering for the various programs that, that God allows us to support. And that would include ministering to our missionary partners all around the globe. And one of the ways we can do that is when this service is finished, I hope they'll be in the foyer and you won't just blow by, but you give them a pat on the back, say praying for you. So glad you stopped by to give us a report and want you to know we're proud of you. Thankful for what you're doing for the ministry. So, questions? Am I aware of the needs of the church? Am I sensitive to our leaders when they say they're desperate for more help? Am I committed to step up to the call and fill a vacancy? Those are good questions. It's not just about VBS. It's just about all the time, all year long. Last week, we hosted a a wonderful quartet here on Sunday night. Several of you were able to be here. And uh, it was really a fun night. And one of our small groups, just to give you an example of how this works, one of our small groups stepped up to the plate. I said said to Pastor Jim and to the staff, I said, "We, we need some greeters. This is not our concert. This is a concert that World Gospel Mission was putting on. And we opened our doors to host it. We allowed them to come in free of charge to offer this concert to the community. But we need some greeters and we need some people to usher 
and to help pass the plates for a love offering that the, that the quartet was going to lift to support World Gospel Mission. And so Pastor Jim kindly said, our small group will take care of that. And if you were here last Sunday night, you saw members of our church who were part of that small group as a way of stepping up to the need and making themselves available, scheduling the evening, and then making things happen. And so this is an example, so that there was no deficiencies, like, hey, a really great quartet came, and there wasn't anybody to greet anybody, and we, could, we had to scrap to just get volunteers at the last second to pass the plates for a love offering, and no, 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 uh, it wasn't that way. We were, we were not deficient, and thanks to you volunteers who did that. So when Miss Kayla gives the final shout-out for workers at VBS, let's make sure we leave no deficiency. The ride is not complete until the hard pedaling and the heavy breathing have taken place. That's how it works in life. Now, let me put a little period right there uh, in the message because I want to close and completely switch gears on topic. And you'll wonder, how did these fit together? Well, they might fit in some ways, and if they don't fit, it, it wasn't intended to fit. Uh, it's just that's what the Lord laid on my heart, two separate themes. Let me close with a story about grace and what happens when grace is allowed to step into a person's life. Many people have not had a good experience with their fathers. <clears throat> in fact, I was listening on Christian radio yesterday to a pastor, and he said, you know, I, I gave a Father's Day message, a typical Father's Day message, and kind of lifted up fatherhood and the importance of all of that and and all, and he said, I got, a, I got a pretty stinging letter from a person in our church uh, telling me that uh, that, that was a, not a very good sermon. And, uh, and he went on to explain why. He said, I did not have a good experience with my father. And in fact, it was a dismal, terrible, dysfunctional experience. And uh, when I come to church and I listen to you uh, lift up all these high and lofty thoughts about father. Uh, a, a father on Father's Day, it, it upset me, and it just, it ruined my day, and it just, I, you know, you need to think about that before you give a message like that, because there's a lot of people like me that didn't have a good experience. In fact, I was told this morning that we've got people here who don't even, they don't even know who their father is. And so we recognize that. We, we understand that. And let me tell you a story about somebody who had an experience like that. <clears throat> because many people have not had a good experience with their father. And talking about their fathers or listening to the fatherhood subject, it just is painful. But I want to encourage you today with this personal story about a man who did not have a good experience with his father, and yet he turned out to be a tremendous father figure to many people. And it is the story of my own father, Carl McClellan. Some of you have heard bits and pieces. Uh, you men who came to the men's uh, breakfast this last week heard some bits and pieces of it, and so you'll hear, hear a little redundancy, and forgive me for that. But there are a lot of people here that have not heard this story. My dad's been gone almost six years now. He passed, went to heaven since we've been here with, with you. And I often mention him to hurting people because he started his life in a really hard place, in a hard way. <clears throat> when he was born, his natural father abandoned the family right after he was born, just walked away from his mother 
from his newborn son, and he became what you and I would call a perpetual vagabond. He was a hitchhiker. He hopped trains all across the country. In fact, he was eventually killed. I was in my teens, but he was eventually killed by a bus while on one of his journeys, I would say, one of his journeys to nowhere. Really, where was he going? Only the next place. That was his life. His great-grandmother, my dad's great-grandmother, was an immigrant from Budapest, Hungary. She used to tell me as a young boy, I'd sit at her knee, and she'd talk to me about how beautiful the old country was. Any of you have ever, who have ever been to Budapest will attest to the fact that it's one of the most beautiful cities on the face of the globe. And she used to talk about how sweet it was, how beautiful it was, and how when she was married, they had the, the, the gypsy violinists come in and played in their back courtyard with the flowers and the vines and the beautiful, just how you picture the old country, so to speak. And she had one of those kinds of backyard weddings. I still remember her telling that. But with the threat of war and you know Hitler and all the things that were going on, uh, she, along with many others, migrated to the United States coming by ship. They spoke Hungarian for the early part of my father's life. In fact, it was spoken so often uh, and so little English that my father failed the first grade because of his lack of language skills. Eventually, his mother, my grandmother, remarried. That turned out to be a sad day because this new stepfather had severe mental health issues in his life. He was very abusive to everyone in the house. You know, they all, those, in those days, they'd live with the great-grandparents uh, to be, be able to make ends meet, and that's where the, the family lived in her home. And this, this stepfather, living in a home that he was not supplying, at the mercy of my great-grandmother, got in such an argument one time with my great-grandmother, who owned the house, that he knocked her down the front porch steps and knocked several of her teeth out. That's the kind of man he was, very abusive to everyone. He was insanely jealous. My dad tells the story of sitting at the dinner table, and there was a knock at the door. And as soon as the knock at the door happened, he said his stepfather took his hand and he backhanded my grandmother right in front of everyone at the table. And he said, I know who's out there. I know who you've been seeing secretly. I know about what you've been doing. And it was the paper boy coming to collect. That's the kind of experience my father had growing up. My father would tell me how he was afraid to go to sleep at night for fear that his stepfather would come in and hurt him. In fact, my dad felt like his stepfather wanted to kill him because he was in the way and he resented him being there. And so he would rig up a heavy ball up over top of his door. I can still hear dad telling me this so that if he tried to sneak in, slip in at night, that the ball would fall and it would wake him up so he could at least run or defend himself or whatever. That was the atmosphere my father went to bed with every night while that man was in the home. One day, my father found him beating his mother, my grandmother, so badly that he didn't know what else to do. He was a big man. And so my father went over and he grabbed the vacuum cleaner that was, they'd been vacuuming the carpets and he took the vacuum cleaner and he said, I swung it at him and I hit him over the head and the back of his, over his neck and his back. And, and he turned around and he had the most 
vengeful look in his, and I, he said, I, just, I didn't know what to do. I just took off running out the front door. And he said, I ran for my life out the front door, and then I ran two blocks down the street to a relative who owned and operated a tavern. That tells you a little something about the background of our family. <laughs> to a tavern. And he said, I ran into the tavern, and he said, my, my uncle who ran the tavern uh, protected me, and he called the police. And the police came, and they got Vern, and they arrested him, and he went from jail to what we would have called in the old days an insane asylum, a, a place for those who are mentally disturbed. He escaped one day with some guests and never heard from him again. That's the atmosphere that my father grew up in. It was very abnormal, it was distorted, and he didn't really have much of a good start in life. There was nothing, absolutely nothing, modeled to this young boy that would cause him to be normal, that would cause him to be one day a decent father. Everything in his life was abnormal and distorted until one day, one day a childhood friend whose name was Bob Hill, as far as I know, he's still living. Bob Hill invited my dad to go to church one Sunday. My dad didn't have anything better to do. He was practically raising himself because my grandmother worked at Timken Roller Bearing. She had a pretty good job, but she was the one that kept the, kept the finances going, so she had to work. And so my dad was literally raising himself. He was out there in the world with his BB gun and trying to make it in life. But he goes to church with Bob Hill, and something happened. Here was this young boy trying to figure out life all on his own. But when he visited the church, he was introduced to someone he'd never heard much about. He met Jesus. And as a young boy, he invited Jesus to come into his heart. And he became a Christ follower from that day forward. All because one young man, a neighborhood friend, invited him to church. It was a great church. That church in Canton, Ohio, Canton Christian Church, was led by a gifted pastor. P.H. Welshmer was his name. In the early, you won't believe this, but it's the truth. In the early 50s, the Canton Christian Church, Canton, Ohio, Canton Christian Church in the early 50s had an average attendance of over 6,000 members. 6,000. It was truly an early megachurch for that time period. My dad eventually became what's called a Timothy of that church. Can you imagine what a Timothy is? We've been studying Paul, Timothy, his able assistant, and then Epaphroditus, the layman who came along. And so this church had a program called Timothy's of the Canton Christian Church. And my father eventually became one of those Timothys. In other words, a ministerial student of that church. And if you, if, if you hear that story and, and you wonder, why, why is Pastor Tim so interested in bringing young people on board in a part-time or an internship status in the life of this church? What, why, I, I love that I, because I saw what that did for my father. I saw how it shaped and molded and how, how having somebody 
of substance to get behind a person and to give them opportunity to make mistakes and exposure to ministry and the privilege of being able to lead at some level. Well, I got a little bit ahead of myself, but my dad eventually became a part of the youth group after he gave his heart to Christ. He actually ended up becoming the president of the church youth group. And he became involved in a Sunday school class that was led by an insurance executive. Did I say executive? That's a big shot with a big salary. But teaching Sunday school in his local church as a volunteer. Just like what we were talking about, finishing the bike ride, finishing the little stuff to do. And his name was George O. Walker. I will never forget. I've met George Walker several times. And uh, uh, this Sunday school teacher was wise enough as he was teaching to recognize that this young man was experiencing a call to full-time Christian service in ministry. And so he talked to my dad to cultivate that in him. And my dad said, I really feel like I'm called to ministry. But he said, I need training and I don't have any money. I have no money. And George Walker said, well, I'm aware of a Bible college down in Knoxville, Tennessee called Johnson Bible College where they've got a work-study kind of program. And if you're willing to work, you can go through school and pay for it as you go. Would you be willing to go? And he said, I would. And so George Walker bought my father a bus ticket to Knoxville, Tennessee. And he went to Johnson Bible College. And he began to train for the ministry. And while he was there on the weekends, he would go to church, just like he's supposed to. And that little country church, not too far from the campus of Johnson, it's now Johnson University, was Gap Creek Christian Church, and that happens to be where my mother went to church. And now you know the connection, why I have Northern in North Canton, and I have Southern in Knoxville. And they fell in love, and married, and here I am. That's the story. So that story, that story is special to me because this man, who should have been about as dysfunctional a father as a man could be, based upon his childhood experiences and the imprinting, the early imprinting that happened in his heart and life, he ended up turning out to be a gentle, loving, balanced, committed Christian father and minister of the gospel about as good as I can imagine. That's the kind of dad I had. I'm blessed because he was my father. But how in the world did that happen with such an ugly start in life? How does that happen? How does that happen? Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, Carl. Or you put your name in there. Don't be conformed. Don't, don't emulate this world. Don't emulate what you see out there in the world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So that you may prove what the will of God is. That which is good and acceptable and perfect. In other words, God has good plans for people who love him. And who are committed to him. And reach out and receive Christ as their savior. And so God put my dad on a completely different mindset track. And it changed the course of his life. And it put him in a good place, not a bad place. And that good place ended up blessing me 
and some others. He renews our thinking from the prototypes that are all wrong, and he teaches us new patterns that are healthy and are wholesome. So my dad had every reason in the world, every excuse to be a dysfunctional influence in my life. But God gave him a better mind, and God gave him a better influence. So when, I, when the choir was singing that song, where, where, where would we be, where would I be if grace had not touched Carl McClellan's life? I, I, I perhaps wouldn't even be here, let alone a Christian. I, I should have been a tavern owner. I should have inherited a tavern, maybe, <laughs> and been pouring liquor for people that were on the road to nowhere in their life. But Jesus has a way. This is a little catchphrase here. So, so Zach, when you put a little one-liner on Facebook for me, like you often do, and God bless you for that, more of us need to do that, because it says he's listening. <laughs> I appreciate it. Jesus has a way of turning the tragic into treasures. Can I get an amen? He has a way of turning the tragedy things, the tragic things, into treasures. And if you had a bad experience with a poor father figure in your life, if you've had that, then look to Jesus. He can heal your greatest pain, and he can heal your worst nightmares. He can show you how to think and how to live. My father was a living example of what Jesus can do when he is invited to live in our lives. So can you imagine what kind of life I might have had if that godly layman, if that neighborhood boy had not invited Carl to church with him that Sunday? Can you imagine what my life might have turned out to be like if George Walker, insurance executive that wasn't too big and too high and mighty to go in there and wrestle with a few teens and junior hires once in a while and work with them and be patient with them and persevere with them and to love on them and to enrich them with the truth of God's Word. Where, where would I have been if that had not happened? So I'm thankful to George Walker. I'm thankful for who he was in those days. Romans 8.28 says this, And we know that God causes all things, even the tragic, dysfunctional, early childhood experiences that my father had, God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Now I said earlier, in closing, that he became a great father to many. I have a brother and a sister, twins. My brother is with Jesus now, as most of you know. My sister is still with us, and my mom, and that's the end of my family. They're all gone. It's over. That's it. I, I, I sometimes am, in a hopefully a godly way, envious of many of you who have so many of your extended family nearby. It's what a blessing it is to be able to see your kids, your grandkids, and to have them. You know, sometimes you think they get on our nerves and whatever, but no, listen, it's better to be able to be around them and be with them. Can I get an amen from grandparents? Amen. But I said my dad had been a good father figure to many. What did I mean by that? Let me explain it. After many years in pastoral ministry, my father became the Protestant chaplain 
of the largest juvenile facility for the state of Ohio, offenders, people, young people who had been arrested and who had a criminal record. Everything from school truancy to murder, from theft, petty theft to armed robbery. Uh, you name it, they were in there for it. It was the largest of its kind. At one time, 1,200 inmates, young people, all there. And my father was the Protestant chaplain. The Protestant chapel, they used to call it on the hill in Lancaster, Ohio, could seat as many as we could seat in here right now. It could seat 1,000 people, 1,000 inmates. I used to be up in the balcony. That was my church for my senior year of high school because that was dad preached every Sunday morning and we went to support him as a family. So we would sit up in the balcony and we would look down over all those inmates except for the Catholics, that they had a Catholic service for the Catholics. But for those who checked Protestant on their form, they were out there, a thousand. And I can remember my father working with each one of those young men as best he could, cleaned out the basement of that old chapel, turned it into a coffee house, and would go to each one of the cottages and pull out eight or ten and take them down there at a time and would expose them to the gospel. I can remember one time uh, going with John Maxwell and a number of people from the church that we attended there in Lancaster, Ohio. And we went out on the hill. We went into that coffee shop, Dr. Maxwell and myself and, and several others. And Dad brought those inmates in. And we exposed them to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And a number of inmates gave their hearts to Christ during those times. So what a difference it made that a godly layman reached out to my father and affirmed this young man who needed some encouragement in life because my father became a spiritual dad for a number of young men who came from Cleveland and Cincinnati and Columbus and Toledo, who many of them had it even worse than my father did. They didn't even know their father's name, or they had a junkie for a father, or a pimp for a father, or a father that was just abusive, or whatever. And my father became a spiritual father to many of those young men. You know, now we have the influence of another godly man. (laughs) His name this morning was John Pfaff. And he brings his three children to this platform. And he says that with God helping me and the prayers of this congregation... Sierra and I are going to do the best we know how to do to raise these children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. A godly father, a better start than my dad had. Amen? But a man who's setting a good influence and a good example to others. You know, if you don't know this Jesus we serve, we want to encourage you to reach out to him today. If this uh, Father's Day has been a painful time for you, Understand that God can heal your emotions and he he can heal the imprinting that was not proper, that was dysfunctional. Jesus can do that and he will help you with that. And he can turn you into the best father figure you could possibly imagine. I know it to be true because I saw it happen right before my eyes. What will he bring to your life? That which is incredible. Only he can turn tragedy to treasure. Let's stand. Father in heaven, on this Father's Day, 
what a joy it, it is for me to just once again thank you for intervening in my father's life so that I could have a good start in life spiritually, so that I could uh, know something about this marvelous relationship that people can have with Jesus Christ, to know that I was a sinner and I was bound for a not very good place, and Jesus stepped in and paid the price for my sin and gave me a peace that passes all understanding when I opened my heart to him and asked him to be my Savior and my Lord. And I'm so thankful for my father who did that. And I know there are others in this room who would say the same thing. And I pray that if your fathers are still living, that you'll just uh, cherish them and give them good words of praise and gladness and thankfulness. Some of our fathers are not in the best place physically. Uh, Some of our fathers, their minds are beginning to go and they are not able to remember things of whatever. And we're sad about that. But we can still love on them and just let them know how much we appreciate their spiritual guidance. And Father, for those that were were raised in a hard place and maybe had something similar or maybe even worse than what my father experienced, I pray that you will cause them to look to Jesus. If they don't know him for the Savior, to reach out and say, Jesus, I embrace you, I need you, I want what that man found when he went to church and he met Jesus. He hadn't heard much about him, but now that we hear about him, we want him, we love him, we want to serve him, I want to serve him. Come into my heart and save me, Lord Jesus. I need your salvation, and I need a renewed mind, and I need you to help me because I don't think right sometimes, and I haven't been taught right, and I didn't have things modeled properly uh, in my life, and I need you to change me like you changed that man. So please help me, Jesus. And for those of us who uh, know you and love you, we're so thankful that you've helped us to make good choices, just like John and Sierra made for their kids this morning to love them in the best way they could love them, to expose them to Jesus and the things of God. Help us to be good fathers. And thank you for the father that you are to us, God. Thank you for being our great, majestic, mighty, precious, holy, heavenly father. We praise you. And all God's people said together, amen and praise the Lord.